Well, good morning. This is uh, my first time to preach here in two years, so I have a whole lot to say. No. <laughs> uh, don't limit me, and I won't limit you, Will. <laughs> but man, it's good to be here, and I, I tell you, I, I'm sharing my testimony today for the first time um, since I found grace. And that's a part of my life that Glenn wants me to share with you today in hopes that you will not follow the same footsteps that I followed and Glenn and Talitha followed and others that are our age that got wrapped up in religion. Because I'm going to be honest with you, religion almost took me to my grave. And I'll share part of that story today. You know, I'm kind of like Paul. I have a lineage that is just second to none. My great-great-grandfather was a man by the name of Adolf Stagg. No relationship to Adolf Hitler. Adolf Stagg. Adolf Stagg was the very first French-speaking missionary to the French-speaking people of Louisiana. This was back in the late 1800s. And uh, some people that, you know, if you've been down in New Orleans and been involved in church work down there, you'll hear about the Adolf Stagg Association. Well, that was, that was my family. I have an uncle, Harry Stagg. Uh, who was the founder of Glorietta Retreat Center, which I know that a lot of y'all have probably been to in the past. That's, that's all a part of my family. My grandfather was the president of the Louisiana Baptist Convention. So you can just imagine the lineage that I come from. I come from a family who knew nothing but religion. And being raised in that, I thought that what I was, and, they, and they, I'm going to be honest with you, my mom and my dad, they taught us the right things, they taught us, um, they meant well. But once I got out of school and got out on my own and I began to search, I realized that a lot of what my mom and dad taught me were not right. You know, I remember when uh, my dad served as a, a military chaplain. He was a colonel in the army, and we got stationed over in Stuttgart, uh, West Germany. And my dad had to go over there three months earlier than we did. When we got over there, we went to church for the very first time. My mom had a way of correcting me, and uh, she would just kind of grab my ear and twist it whenever we acted up at First Baptist Church, Pineville. So I feel we'll remember these. <laughs> she remembered my mom. Uh, but she would grab my ear and she would twist it. Well, in, in that first service in Germany, the music began and everybody started clapping. And I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. So I started clapping too. And I, I quickly felt my mom grab my ear and twist my ear. And she bent down to me and she said, don't you ever do that in God's house again. Now let me tell you, men, when you get in trouble with your wives, that next meal, you know there's going to be a come to Jesus meeting? Well, there was at our dinner table. And my mom proceeded to tell my dad that if we go back to that church and there is clapping in that church, that I'm going to take the kids and I'm going to go home. Now that's just the way my mom was raised. My mom turned out <laughs> got involved in a, in a new church start in Baton Rouge, was the oldest person in the church. She got over all of those things, but I was taught those things. Whenever I entered into the ministry about 25 years ago, uh, David Miller was actually a part of the first church that I was, uh, that I was pastor of. 
all of my ministry, I have had incredible challenges in every single church. I've had incredible successes, but I've also had incredible challenges. In one church that I was mentioning uh, with, with David, um, I felt led to invite Fred Luter. Many of y'all have probably heard Fred. Uh, a friend of mine, a pastor in New Orleans, uh, his, he, he's black, black as they come. But he, one of the greatest, I mean, one of the, I just, I love to hear Fred preach. And so we, I got it approved by the deacons, you know, how it goes in Southern Baptist churches. The deacons had to approve everything, and the deacons approved for Fred to come preach. I announced it on a Sunday morning, and on Monday afternoon, about 1230 at the parsonage, the phone rang. And I'm going to tell you, I heard the voice of Satan like I have never heard in all of my life. And she said that I am going to kill you in the pulpit. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your life. And so we had the police involved. I preached in a, in a bulletproof vest for three weeks. We had state troopers, you know, that were dressed casually in the congregation just in case something happened. You know, that's crazy. That's not a reflection on the church because I'm going to tell you, we had a, we had a great time at, at that church. But Satan did everything that he could. And all throughout my ministry, I found myself always wanting for more. And in my spiritual walk, I never was full. I never, I never was able to achieve what I felt I needed to achieve. And I'd sit down with other pastors and I'd say, well, Bill, what you need to do is you need to pray more. So I would. That didn't help. But what you need to do is you need to fast. That didn't help. All that did was make me hungry. What you need to do is you need to tithe more. So I would tithe more and I would do all of these different things in order to be drawn what I thought would bring me closer to God. Because undoubtedly, because of all the challenges that I was going through in my ministry, undoubtedly God didn't love me enough. Because if God loved me, things would go a whole lot better, right? We've all been there. And so I struggled and I struggled and I struggled. I remember going to the doctor one time and uh, I told him that I was unable to sleep, that I was under an enormous amount of pressure, enormous amount of stress. I found myself, guys, at night, whenever I would lay down, I would begin to think of all the failures that I had had that day. The number of people that judged me because maybe my sermon was too long, maybe it was too short, maybe I didn't go to the hospital when I was supposed to, but all of this just piled up on me and I would lay awake at night unable to sleep, my mind constantly racing. About 20 years ago, I went to a doctor and I have my very last bottle here, empty, of a pill called Ambien. Some of y'all may be on it. I'm not here to criticize anybody, but I can tell you what it did to my life. It messed my life up. Because what happened was, after about a week of taking this, what it did was, it just totally shut my brain down at night. I, my mind wasn't racing. I wasn't constantly thinking about all these things. I could take that pill and I could sleep all night long without being woken up. Now here's the scary part. Hal called from, I think it was either Afghanistan or basic training, I don't remember where he was in the Marines, called me at 1 o'clock in the morning. I answered the phone, had a full-length conversation with him, and totally forgot about it the next morning. That's what Ambien would do. 
And I'm telling you, it, it destroyed me. I got addicted to it, and I took it for 20 years. I began to research how I could get off of it. And, I re- and, and you know, you research this, and it's absolutely terrifying because there are people that are on it that takes a year to get off of it. It's just a long process of weeding yourself off of this uh, dependence to this medication. I mean, a lot of people go into treatment for it. And so all of my life, it all came down back in about 2014, 2015, the worst year of my life. My son brought a young lady home. (laughs) I'm going to try this, Hannah. Brought a young lady home that, uh, that we fell in love with. And whenever he went off to Yemen, he broke up with her. Broke up with her on the Saturday before a major explosion in the church on Sunday. And I'm telling you, it came to a head. And that happened on, on Saturday, and then we had a major explosion in church on Sunday at First Baptist Church of Idalia. By far, the greatest ministry that I had ever been a part of. I mean, I was preaching to 500, and I'm just going to share with you what my package was so you would understand how incredibly great God is. I had a $70,000 package at this church. We had everything we wanted. I mean, my, my speaking engagements on the calendar was filling up because people wanted to hear me speak about, you know, what it was that I was doing that nobody else was doing that was making the church grow, and I never really could point to anything. And we did all the, all the programs and all the Lifeway stuff and did all the evangelism courses. We did all of those things. And despite all the success that I received and the accolades, I was still empty. That Monday morning after the bad day we had on Saturday and the even worse day that we had on Sunday, I remember going to the office. I got up there earlier than than the staff usually is there and I shut my door. And I prayed. And I said, God, I'm done. I just can't go on any further. And it got so bad that I asked God to just take my life. Just take me home. I cannot go on any further. And you know, in that prayer, I really thought he would. I had a deacon's meeting that night to jump on me for what happened in the worship service on Sunday morning. And what happened in the worship service on Sunday morning was it dealt with a children's minister. And God told us very clearly, myself and all the leadership, that this individual is who needs to be our children's minister, and we voted on her, and somebody caused a big blow-up because of it. It was the right thing to do. She's still children's minister there, and she's still the best children's minister they've ever had. But I prayed that God would take my life. I wasn't suicidal. It wasn't that, that, you know, that has affected our family before, and I wasn't about to be a part of that again. You know, it's an odd prayer to pray. Because you pray that, and you know you have a deacon's meeting Monday night. Do you prepare for it? Because you're not going to be there, right? Do I get ready for my Sunday morning message? Because I just prayed that God would take me out. With truth is, two or three months went by, and I was still here. Still preaching. 
still ministering, still trying to do everything right. I read about a preacher about his spiritual life. He would, he would go to Walmart, and you can see these in Walmart. They're about this long, and they're made of styrofoam. And what you do is old people like me, whenever you do garden work, you lay it down on the ground, and you get down on your knees, and it makes it a little more comfortable. Well, what he said in this article was that he would go and he would buy these, and he would put one in his office. He would get down on his knees, and he would pray, and he has worn out 24 of those uh, pads in his prayer life. That's what I need to do. If that's what draws us closer to God. So I went and I bought one of those little pads. I used it once. And I was still empty. I was still trying to achieve something the wrong way. About two months after that, I began to realize that God was not going to take me. That God had another plan for my life. We had a Sunday off, and Hal was back from the Marines and was attending this church. I remember asking him who his pastor was. He says, Glenn Watley. I said, who? He said, Glenn Watley. And I knew of Glenn. I mean, Tlaife and I were raised together at First Baptist Bible. Um, I knew of Glenn. I knew of what others had said of Glenn, and I kind of formulated my own opinion. And I was like, well, I, I don't know if I want to go to, I don't know if I want to go to that church or not. I mean, Seriously. You know, my daughter goes to Calvary. My son is on my son-in-law is on staff at Calvary. I remember Buddha and I talking, let's go to Calvary. Well, let's go to church without. Let's go to Calvary. We ended up going to church here. And I'll never forget it because I knew God was calling me away from Vidalia, but I didn't really want him to call us to Alexandria. I just I'm gonna be honest with you. Alexandria, I call it Gotham City. I mean, it's not the same Alexandria and Pineville area that my wife and I both were raised in, but God had other plans. And we came to church here that day. My wife and I sat right there where Debbie Upshaw is sitting right now. It was the first day that Kobe became music minister here at the church. Glenn got up and he began preaching. And he began preaching about grace. I remember him quoting a comment, a, a quote that Steve McVeigh had said about what you need to do in order to be drawn closer to God is you need to quit trying and you need to start trusting. And those little comments meant a lot to me. And I sat there and I started thinking about that. And I started thinking about what Glenn was preaching. I thought, you know what, that's what I need. That's what we need. And as Boone and I were driving down the highway, leaving the church, I told her, I said, I could see us being a part of that. Isn't it amazing how God works? Isn't it amazing? God began to change our world like I have never seen in all of my life. When we were in Vidalia, we had our first grandson. He's three years old now. His name is Mac. He's absolute perfection. There's nothing wrong with that boy. We had the opportunity when we moved back, when I resigned from the church and we came back to Alexandria, that we were around, uh, we were around him and my daughter and son-in-law and around Hal. I had no job. I went from $70,000 to zero. 
And a lot of people in, in the church in Vidalia said I was absolutely crazy. Why are you doing that? What church are you going to? I said, I'm not going to a church. God is just telling me to leave. And we did. We ran out of our savings, or what little bit of retirement we had for about two months. Had no money coming in. Buddha and I were both kind of just starting the phase of freaking out, not sure what, exactly what was going to happen. And then our doorbell rang. This is where God just blows us away. The doorbell rang, and it was Adam's Pest Control who was there to spray our house. It wasn't our regular pest control guy. It was actually the supervisor, a guy by the name of James Brown, and not the James Brown you're thinking of right now. But it is the very same James Brown that when I was pastor at Unity Baptist Church, we called him as a music minister, and 15 years later, he is still there. So he comes in and he sprays the house. I was sitting in my recliner. He said, Bill, what are you doing now? I know you're, you know, you're not in Vidalia anymore. And I said, well, I've retired from the vocational ministry and I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to do. You know what he said? Have you ever thought about working for Adam's Pest Control? I said, well, no, not really. He said, well, let me talk to Butch. Butch Morrison is the owner of Adam's Pest Control and has known my family for years. He said, let me, let me, uh, I'm, I'm going to go check with him. I met with Butch the next day and I started on the third day and I've been there for two years. That's how God provides. Isn't that amazing? You know, if, you, if we just will walk in obedience, God will take us. God will provide for us all that we need. And then back to this. I will never forget, it was on a Thursday afternoon, and God spoke to me as clearly as I've ever felt Him impressing on my heart. He said, Bill, it's time to get off Ambien. You don't need it. My wife was sitting, uh, was in the kitchen. I walked in with this very bottle. I opened it, and I poured it all down the drain. Never to take another one. For those people that it took over a year to get them off of Ambient, it took God two nights. I've not had one since that day, and I never will have another one. And guess what? I sleep better now than ever before. Why? I believe it's because of grace. I don't walk. I don't walk in judgment anymore. People still judge me, but guess what? I've learned that it's more of a reflection on them than it is on me. You want to know some other cool things? My son walks in the room. I'm sitting in that very recliner. Isn't it incredible how God does great things when you sit in a recliner? <laughs> I'm sitting in a recliner, and Hal walks through the house. Hal was living with us. We already had a house here in Alexandria. And he walks, he walks through the living room, and he, he's, you know, dressed a little nicer than normal. You could smell him coming through the house because he had put some cologne on, I said, man, where are you going? He said, I'm going to get a snow cone with Hannah. So I, I really tried to play the cool dad. I'm like, you know, okay, whatever. We're just talking, dad. That's what he said. It's one of the greatest days in our life when we were sat by the lake and Hal and Hannah got married. Now, you're talking cool. Because I got the best daughter-in-law that there is. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. She's awesome. You remember me telling you about how much I didn't like deacons? Just the name deacon. 
brought about so much anxiety. I would have chest pains, anxiety. I just didn't want to be around a deacon ever again. And when I said goodbye to Vidalia and I drove off, I was like, no more deacons. My daughter, Elise and Derek, she got pregnant again. I was sitting in my recliner. Elise and Derek were sitting on the couch, and she said, Derek, is it, is it okay if we go ahead and tell them what we're going to name our son? Guess what his name is? Deacon. Can you believe that? I mean, that's just God having a sense of humor, right? His name is Deacon. And I'll tell you this, I have never loved a deacon as much as I love this one. <laughs> and I will never, ever, 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 man, perfection. Hal and Hannah came over one night to let us know that they were expecting. I don't know if y'all knew this or not, but Hannah's pregnant. <laughs> I, know that's, I know that's a surprise. And I want to remind y'all of this story because I always want you, don't, don't ever forget the greatness of God. Because remember a few weeks into the uh, pregnancy, she went to the doctor and had blood work. And I don't remember the exact genetic makeup or whatever it was, but it was, it was not a good result for a test. And what it was showing was that he was, he was going to have so many deformities that he was not going to be able to survive. I knew exactly what it was because I had gone through this before with a family in Vidalia. I was there for their big reveal and how excited they were. I was, I was the first one that they came by and talked to me at the office when they got the diagnosis. And I was there for the birth of this baby in Mississippi, and I did the baby's funeral two weeks later. I knew how horrible that experience would be. And I'll never forget, because I always watch these things. I like to watch how people interact, especially Christian people. Amazingly, Hannah came to church that Sunday. She had every reason to stay at home, right? And I walked, looked down the hall, and there was Katie Furman with her arms around Hannah, Carly Norman with her arms around Hannah, and I don't remember who else, but those are the two that I remember, just really wrapping their arms around her and encouraging her. And how beautiful of a sight that was. I was spraying someone's house, the Johnson's house. I remember specifically the phone rang. This was a few weeks later, and it was Hal calling from offshore. Man, Dad, you're not going to believe the baby's well, the baby's healed. But that wasn't what he was really mostly excited about. And it's a boy. Some people would say, well, you know what this test, all it is is a false positive. I don't buy that. I believe the baby was healed. I believe God just healed that baby. And in just the next couple of weeks, John Austin's going to become a part of this church. And let me say this to you, being that he's my son's son, let me go ahead and apologize to you <laughs> about what that boy will probably do to this church when he gets a little older. There's another gift that God gave Buddha and I, when we came back, and let me just, let me just say this very quickly, because I want you to understand, God doesn't bless us 
with all of this simply because we left the church. You know why God blesses us? Because He loves us. That's why. And He wants to do the very same thing for each of you. But God blessed us with this church. And God, I don't believe God calls us to the church to just sit and do nothing. But God gave me a specific task when I came here. And that was to support my pastor. I made it very clear to him before we even, you know, went through the new member training. I made it very clear to my wife, that's what I'm supposed to be doing is to be an encouragement to my pastor. And you know why? Because I didn't have that when I went through ministry for 25 years. And let me just clarify this. If you ever feel that you need to be negative about Glenn Watley, don't you dare come to me. Let me, yeah, let me, just, yeah, let me just go ahead and say it now. I don't want to hear it. Because I have been a part of that judgment for years and years and years. What has grace done for me? I'll tell you what it's done for me in closing is this. I have enjoyed praying more now under grace than I ever did before. You know why? Because I don't have to. I enjoy tithing more now than ever before. Why? Because I don't have to. I want to. If I fast today, I fast not because I have to. I fast because I want to. And when God pulled me out of religion, He gave me grace. The very grace that we sang about in traditional churches all these years, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Y'all remember that one? We sang it and we sang it and we sang it, but we didn't understand it. But I'm so thankful that God gave us this church to be a part of with the job to do, and that is to support my pastor and his wife. She kind of comes in the deal, right? To support them both. I want to share with you a song, and this is in closing. You know, every preacher says in closing probably 10 or 15 times. But I want to share with you with, our, with the words of these, this song that um, a lady came to uh, First Baptist Vidalia two or three times for concert. Her name was Shelly Johnson. She's one of the worship leaders. They have like six of them at Woodstock Baptist Church over in somewhere in Georgia, if I'm not mistaken, Johnny Hunt's church. And she sang this incredible song. She, uh, she said, this is one of the first concerts I've sung this song, and I've just done it, and um, it has become my life song. And I want you all to listen to these words. It's called Mosaic of Grace. Just a pile of broken glass, pieces of a painful past. Shattered by the storms of life, that is all that's left inside. Listen to the chorus. He can take the fallen pieces and lay them in the perfect place. When his work is finally finished, you will be a mosaic of grace. In your pain, you may not see the beauty of the masterpiece, but there's a greater work of art than that each piece alone imparts. He can take the fallen pieces and lay them in the perfect place, and when his work is finally finished, you will be mosaic of grace. That's my life. And you know, friends... You can probably look, look at me and see yourself in the mirror. 
And what my hope and my prayer is for each of you is that if you do not understand grace, please sit down with Glenn. Let him help you with it. Let some of the elders in this church help you with it. I'll be more than glad to sit down and share with you my story and what God would love to do in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this morning. And I thank you, Father, that you are the almighty God. I thank you for the change that you brought about in my life. I thank you for all the incredible blessings that you have blessed us with. I thank you, God, for this church. I thank you, Father, for the freedom from religion. And I pray, Father, that each and every day of the week that you will draw us closer and closer to you. Help us, Father, to stop trying and start trusting. And we pray all of these things in your Son's name. Amen.